Welcome to the Sunday Brunch. We have a great show for you today. On this episode, we're going to talk about returning to the office, vaccine resistance to the Delta variant, the number of positive cases with youth and how those numbers seem to be climbing. We're also going to talk about vaccine side effects, the Lambda variant, and are we going to wear masks post-COVID? We also have a lot of interesting tech news. We're going to talk about the term techno salvation, the Google Store's Trojan horse problem, and the Google AI's chief recent sort of hypocrisy in regard to trying to have some more diversity when it comes to developing AI. And we're going to wrap things up with a discussion around some new FCC anti-robocall protocols. All this and more coming up on the Sunday Brunch. Enjoy. Welcome to the Sunday Brunch, a weekly news show where we ask the big question on the week's tech, science, and medicine. And every week I'm joined by my friend and co-host, the one, the only, Dr. Marty. How has your week been, my friend? The, the one and only. The one um, and only. The, <laughs> that has been pretty good. I have been kind of dragging my knuckles to get stuff done because I'm in the slump of summer heat wave. Uh, you know, not nearly as bad as it's been in the Pacific Northwest, which got very hot. And there were a lot of casualties that talked about that recently. But um, it's hot. I'm sluggish. And I get to go back into the office soon. I'm really looking forward to that. You're, you're on the other side of the fence, the people who really, really want to go back. Oh, yeah. I'm not the person who can't wait to. When I see all these things of, of people who are like, well, forever I get to work remotely now. Like, I can't work remotely. I suck at it, first of all. Um, cause I'm like, Ooh, a spider web. <laughs> That's interesting. Let's stare at that for an hour instead of doing work. Um, and, and I won't even dust it. You know, I'll just be like, Oh, that spider has a beautiful pattern. Let's see if I can see a spider. No, I can't see a spider. Let me wait a little longer. I mean, it, it really, my, my procrastinator monkey inside my brain, just it's impressive. So I need to be around other people doing work. Otherwise it doesn't happen with me. Uh, for anybody at work that's listening to this, I'm going to deny that I ever said that, but for the audience that doesn't know my working life, then yes, I'm confessing to you that I need people around. And once I get back to work, I'm going to be much more productive and a much happier camper. What about you? You've, you've been going to work, haven't you? You know, it's funny you say that. Um, so so this week I actually had some some meetings in, in downtown Denver. And it was it was really good to to reconnect with uh, with coworkers. Um, I you know it was one of those days I had planned where uh, I met someone for breakfast, then I met someone for lunch, and then I also ended up uh, you know meeting some of my team members for for a little bit of a happy hour. And it was really great. I mean, it was good to be in the same physical space with uh, you know with my coworkers and partners and team members on on different projects. Um, but I, I still love working at home. Um, I'm very productive. I, you know, it's, it's, it's a great, you know, I was actually, uh, talking to my, uh, to one of my good friends, like I'm physically healthier. Like I'm going to the gym every day at 5 AM, you know, I'm getting back here by like 730. Uh, you know, generally, generally I start working about like 745, eight o'clock, um, I, I have fallen into a really good routine and I, I'm, you know, and, and I'm in meetings all day and it's great that I don't have a commute. I, I know many Americans have had a long commute or are going back to a commute. And I mean, and you're in LA, so I, that you say your commute is terrible. Mine yeah. was about two hours one way. And so I was four hours on the road and now oh, I don't have that. So, so I mean, it's that, working out great. That's fair. I understand that. Um, the commute, the commute is rough. That is a, that is a rough addition to the modern American life. If you're living in or outside of a big city. But man, I just can't. 
I, I can't stare at my computer screen from my living room anymore. I just can't. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this next week when I start to, yeah, it's just going to be awesome. Well, you know what you should what you should get is one of those nice OLED curved monitors. It, it, w- it would change your whole world on uh, working with remote. Yeah, yeah. All right. Looking forward to that. But if you are commuting, I hear that listening to podcasts is the best way to pass the time. That's what I hear. Stop it. Where did you hear that? <laughs> so so you're enjoying I mean, going downtown it sounds like you're 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 kind of open to everything. You're going out to eat, you're going to happy hours. I'm starting to see that too in in LA area. It's much more common that people are are experiencing the joie de vivre. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting cuz, you know, you know, it being a short week coming off of a holiday um, but I, I feel like there's like this pent up people want to get together. Um, I'm still worried about the uh, Delta variant, um, you know, because we do have people who, you know, who travel to the Grand Junction area or travel to other areas. But um, Denver certainly opened up. Uh, there's still restaurants that have staff wearing masks. Um, but it's really it's kind of back to normal, you know, you know, for the most part. But um, it's still good. I mean, e- even though I'm a, I'm very much an introvert, it was still really good to see coworkers, to visit offices, to you know, in one case, you know, um, it was it was during the lunch. Uh, we were actually celebrating a promotion of of one of my colleagues. I mean, that's just really good, you know. And and I mean, it after I got done, even though I was exhausted, because you know, you know, as an introvert, you're kind of like that's a lot of social activities for one day. But when I'm going in the office, I'm trying to like stack my agenda where I get a lot out of it. Um, so, so, I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun and it's beautiful in downtown Denver in the summertime. I mean, oh, it, was, yeah. it, it was a great day to be down there. So, yeah. So it's interesting on the Delta variant because there's, there's, that's the new buzzword. It's not even COVID anymore. It's the Delta variant is what we're talking about. And there was a story that recently came out that broke from Israel. Now in Israel, uh, they're one of the, the places where you had, the majority of the population vaccinated really early on. And I think Pfizer was the predominant, and maybe Moderna was there too, but I think Pfizer was the, was where a lot of the studies came from, of how the vaccinated population that was pretty close to having a herd immunity, although I don't think they reached a herd immunity, was dealing with you know, the, the new variants. And when they had called them the different regional variants, there was you know the South African or whatever, and then they changed the naming schema. And so they, they're Greek letters now, which makes more sense. Um, and originally, it was thought that having both jabs of the Pfizer vaccine was still going to protect you against becoming ill from the Delta variant at a 90-something percent level. But they were wrong. And the recent data that came out said it will protect you against the Delta variant at something like a 64% level, which is quite different. Um, and Israel, you know, it has the, the infrastructure to have had all these doses given and the science to follow up on them in the meantime. So it's kind of a, a window to the world of what it's going to look like for the rest of us who have been vaccinated, um, but are going to be dealing with the Delta variant. So what does that mean? Like, what does that translate to? Well, it's still something like 94% effective against severe disease. So almost everybody who's been vaccinated will either be asymptomatic or have a mild course of the virus if they get the virus, if. I mean, there's still quite a bit of protection. Um, So 
it will feel more like a cold or a flu if you have it. But, and this is a big but, um, you are certainly capable of transmitting it, like very capable of transmitting it. And that's one of the things that, you know, there's, there's a dichotomy that we talk about. Like once you're vaccinated, you can do these things. But it's tricky because you can be vaccinated to do these things, but your kids, if they're under 12, are probably not vaccinated. And it turns out that kids right now um, in the U.S. have spiked in the number of COVID cases. They're accounting for something like 25% of the COVID cases right now. Whereas in March of 2020 or early on in the pandemic, it was like 1% or 2% of the cases. It really wasn't that focused. So now we have to look, you know, there are so many people who say things like, um, well, if you're not vaccinated, then you're asking for it, which I find to be, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wow. Are your, are your kids asking for it? Wow. You it, know, there are people who've got pre-existing conditions or there are different reasons why people aren't vaccinated. And certainly adults that aren't vaccinated are going to be at higher risk because kids tend to have a less severe course of disease anyway. But kids are getting it and they're getting this Delta variant. Um, and... Adults are spreading it even if they're vaccinated. So keep in mind that, you know, here, here's the rule. Uh, until there is herd immunity, either by everybody having some form of it and or being vaccinated, until there are herd immunities, we are going to keep on having variants that will mutate, that will sneak past other defenses and be more transmissible. It doesn't mean that it will be more deadly, although some will be nastier bugs. Uh, but and for all of those that are choosing not to get the vaccine um, because they don't want to, it's strictly a matter of preference, um, there is this other cost to that, and that's the virus will have more opportunity to mutate in every single person that doesn't into a more contagious or more infectious or more virulent or more severe or whatever it is, those mutations. Sometimes it's less severe, but it's the ones that are nastier that live on that keep on getting passed more and more and live on to the next generation of, of the next wave of COVID. So, you know, we talk about it as if we're through, you know, through the woods or we're, we're past the, the, the dark times. And I'd say, you know, for those of us that are not associating with kids and are vaccinated and our, our pods are vaccinated and yeah, cause probably, probably the worst we're going to have is uh, a mild form of the disease if we were to get it now. But that's still how, I mean, I've seen a lot of little kids who aren't vaccinated and it's really made me stop and think like, well, I could be part of the problem even if I don't think I have it. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, so I'm kind of curious do you think, I mean, you, you've kind of spoken before that under this emergency designation that, that uh, uh, young people are getting the vaccines, uh, do, you, do you sort of suspect like at some point in the future, they're just going to say it's mandatory, you know, if you're going to school, you have to have it. I mean, do you think it's just going to be lumped in with everything else? I think they're, they don't know. Um, everything is a don't know right now. So there were some tragic stories of adolescents who got their second jab and died overnight after they got it, like otherwise healthy individuals. So they're not the same stories that we were hearing before because we don't know how it is. Now, to be very fair, any drug trial, any vaccine trial is going to have these very strange, exceptional circumstances that nobody could have predicted and they don't know if the stars were aligned in a weird way and something happened in an odd way. That, like, that could very well be, and it often is, 
but we don't even know that they're there yet. So um, there are different vaccines that are coming out still. There's one called Novavax that everybody's excited about. It's a protein-based vaccine that seems to be even more effective in certain ways. Um, and that one might be safer or it might not be. And the idea of the emergency use authorization is one where um, it made a lot of sense in the time frame that we needed to get the initial leg up on this virus. But now that there are so many, and most Americans are, so 55% of Americans or so are vaccinated right now, um, you still have this massive unknown. We don't know if it was if it really can be mandatory, because it might be very harmful to some people. We don't know what it's like in kids. We don't know. Those trials have to be done. They have to find this. And they're doing those trials right now. Uh, and we have to wait. But, you know, we don't even have the the FDA approval for general use in the adult population yet. So it's going to be a while, I think. I think it's going to probably be at least a year before we get widespread approval of non-emergency use. Uh, for adult use, though, Originally, I had heard murmurs that it was going to probably be by the fall. And this is strictly speculation. I don't know anybody on the inside that was telling me this. It was just, you, you hear from someone who heard from someone's cousin who heard from someone. Uh, but I'm not so sure we're going to get there. I I am a little incredulous. And I think it might be a little longer because they're going to try being really careful with this federal use, the FDA approval, because it has so many more implications. Because then... Let's say somebody decides in their in their state-sponsored institution or their federally-sponsored institution that ma- vaccines are mandatory, um, but then the vaccine causes death or the vaccine causes um, another medical condition that is not reversible or whatever it is. Well, now you have uh, a, a litigious paradigm for the federal government. And they want to avoid that as well, because if you're forcing people to do something that's not fully safe, um, you know, with with a emergency use approval, at any point, it can be pulled from the shelves. Like Pfizer and Moderna can be like, no, we're pulling it back. We've got to change it. We've got to do something. But you get really entangled when it's FDA approved for its thing, its, its intended use. So uh, jury's out. Uh, we're going to see how this progresses. Uh, but it's kind of that reminder that this is ongoing, dudes. You know, we, we've got a flu, essentially, that's going to be chronic. And until our own immune systems, whether it be through a vaccine or through actually having the virus or both, maybe multiple times, are not going to um, know what the outcome is going to look like as we coexist with it. Yeah, I mean... That's I think that's a very interesting distinction, you know, between FDA approval and emergency approval. Um, you know, it's been interesting just in my friend circle. Most of the parents in my friend circle have had their kids go in and get vaccines. I mean, they are all in on on getting their kids booked and, you know, and set up for their appointments. Um, is that is that the same way where you're at or are people being a little bit more cautious at this point? I, a lot of people are getting their kids in and by and large, it's safe. In the 12 to 15 category, it's safe, um, by and large. But there are parents who are worried, and understandably so, because we don't know yet with with the kids as well. So probably 12 to 15 is fine. There are going to be some cases, like when they found the blood clots in um, AstraZeneca or Johnson & Johnson, or when they found the the myocarditis from Pfizer, or I think, I think Moderna too. 
Um, those weren't expected. Like that was that was rando. Like how did that happen? So uh, that can also happen in kids. That could also happen in teenagers. And in fact, uh, the myocarditis happens more in young men under thirty than in other populations. So, like the Seinfeld, what's the deal? Like, well, why does that happen? Uh, so there are things to sell these tests out. Yeah, it's just you know, kind of like you said, it's like when you go onto the news cycle you see really positive news about the vaccine. And then all of a sudden you see this, you know, you know, as you talked about it, it's like, it's like now it's like out of the new COVID vaccines, you know, it was a report that was like 2%, um, you know, of these, of these new COVID infections are, are coming from kids. Um, and that, you know, I mean, that's a huge chunk that we hadn't seen before. And, and I mean, I'm sure, you know, kids are now more active. They are going and playing with other social groups. They're traveling. They're all in those school or yeah, in camp. In yeah. yeah very interesting right now and i you know i i'm still a little worried like like when you're talking about particularly with men and the side effects there it's like it's like hold on a second am i sensing anything is it because i'm in that age bracket you know you're not under 30 my friend <laughs> let's wait let's what? keep something what? straight what? let's keep something straight okay hold on hold on no no no, no, no. i definitely feel like i'm under 30 yeah <laughs> that's great that's a great attitude to have you don't let me get away with anything i see how it is <laughs> um you know, and and to be to be more serious for a second, um, we the, there's a really nice never-ending source of stories in the news cycle of new variants. So you know, we had Delta Plus hit India, um, and now we've got Lambda, which is in Peru. And if we had been following these regions, each geographic region has their own mutations that has sprung up. That is no surprise at all. Um, that are becoming more infectious. Um, and will continue to become more whatever until there's herd immunity reached in that spot. So in, um, in, in the South Asian area, that's where this delta had, had really sprung up. But now it's, it's hit Europe. And so that's what we associate with that continental area. Um, South America is very lambda. And lambda is a nasty variant as well. It's a variant of concern more infectious, more transmissible. It has all of those characteristics, more spike protein mutations. Uh, it is unfortunately really ravaging Peru, where normally the mortality rate of COVID is something like, I don't know, uh, I, I don't even remember. It depended on the age bracket, but I think it was somewhere like a couple percent. Um, in Peru, it's 10%, which is quite high. Wow. Um, so if you have it, then you have a 10% chance that it is going to be um, a cause of death. So it, that's pretty severe. And I'm sure it needs to be adjusted for the different age brackets. So in the elderly or people with pre-existing conditions, it's going to be more. Uh, so it does, it, it's a cause of concern. And the other thing to remember, and the example that we know from Delta is, Delta was something that kind of, it looked like it was passed back and forth between the UK, maybe the initial mutations, getting to India, giving rise to another mutation, going back to Europe, and now spreading across there into another version. So these things don't just stay in one continent. Now, the US hasn't gotten the Lambda variant yet. It's not been reported here. But I would conjecture that it's a matter of time before we have it. And I don't know if it's worse than Delta or not. Um, that's unknown. It's just different. And it does evade 
neutralizing antibodies uh, more than the the traditional version. I, I think the thing to keep in mind is that the COVID we came to know in March and April of 2020 isn't the same COVID of now. Um, it, it's like having um, two very different experiences of a flu. Like your flu that lasts a day and you have an upset stomach, a 24-hour flu. Or it's the flu that knocks you out for the week. And depending on the season, it's very different because they mutate as well. So it's kind of like that where we are with COVID, but everything we were looking at to make our decisions, it, it needs to be reconsidered because this this round or each new subsequent round is just going to be a little bit different. So be smart. Where, you know, it, I still say if you're going to be inside most places, wear a mask. Yeah. And here in Colorado, people are not wearing masks indoors anymore. They have complete, they're, they're like, it is a whole new world here in Colorado because people are like, we're free. We're all vaccinated. Well, it's great that everyone's vaccinated. In fact, if they're only around other vaccinated people, then they're probably not going to spread anything terrible to each other. Although if those people are ever around unvaccinated people, then you got to worry because they can very possibly have an asymptomatic infection and be, and be passing it on to someone who isn't protected. I'm still carrying my travel size hand sanitizer with me. I'm evaluating the silverware I mean, I'm still just as neurotic as I was. It's just that I, I don't know about you, but like, at least here in Colorado, if you're wearing a mask when you're socializing with others, you almost look like the outcasts now because people are now going maskless in their social gatherings. Isn't it amazing how COVID is like 20% a biological concern and 80% a social one? It's just the things that are going to dictate the spread of the virus are going to be social norms. And that's what we learned over this past year and a half. It was really more about our cultural relationship with illness and disease and comfort and public health. And it just, it, it never really got to a question of science. It, it was really uh, smudged with, with all of these other issues that people brought up, whereas science kind of became a secondary concern. Yeah, it became highly, it got... And a lot of it got wrapped up in so much politics. Yeah. And then it got wrapped up into, you know, this ideological, you know, it was, it, it got tied into all this other stuff that made it quite like when, when I've talked with, you know, friends and colleagues that are, are very different than me politically. Yes. Science for, for some of them played a small role, but it was this mask symbolizes this politically. It symbolizes this religiously. It symbolizes this. I was like, I had no idea a mask could carry this much weight with people. Yeah, it was very social. And I think there was a real misunderstanding of what science's power is. I think the way we used it is a way that we came to appreciate science. And there's, there's a, a professor from UC Santa Cruz named Donna Haraway who had used this term techno-salvation that we tend to think that there is a new discovery on the horizon that will be utilized by us that will make our lives better or save us from ourselves. And that's kind of what the vaccine symbolized. Like if, if we can have techno salvation, then we'll get through COVID. But science was the process that helps guide the techno salvation, but it's also the process to help us understand how should we behave such that we don't have a one Hail Mary pass to get through this, you know, because it's, it's, it's a way of understanding the situation, not of just creating a fix. And that was really out of 
most of the news cycle because uh, it's not as exciting. It's not like you're reading something that is a race to the finish line. We were number one. We've created the salvation. We've we've found a way to and within that that soap opera that we had going on, we also had the political and religious and social soap operas going on that got entangled with that. So science was like, where am I here except for the product creation, the salvation component? And that's got a limited shelf life because then what? What what happens when this mutates too? And you're still going to need the science to get through the next step and the next step. And that's where we don't really, I think, appreciate the nuance of it as much as we should. And the reality, the, the, some of it's not, it's not grim. It's just, it's just opening your eyes a bit. It's not pretending that everything is over. It was not. Yeah. And, and I also think, I don't know if you ran into this, but there was also, you know, I had some, I had some neighbors who were like, um, it was almost a blow to their masculinity to wear a mask because they're like, well, oh, yeah. I, well, I, I'm stronger than than this virus. I, I I don't need to wear it. And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. And they're like, because I because I'm a healthy uh, 30 year old who, you know, goes to the gym every day. Like, I don't have to worry about this. And it was like, you know, in businesses that required them to wear a mask. It's like, well, I'm not a I, I'm not a wimp or I'm not this. I mean it got tied up in all these things. I'm like, it, it doesn't make very any sense. Strange. It was very strange just how warped the message became. And yeah, there was a strange performance of masculinity. Now we sound like a, uh, a snooty academic podcast, but there was a lot of weird um, need to show personal accomplishment and vigor and faith and things that were like, Dude, WTF, this has nothing to do with that. It's, it's not like you can't use this terrible metaphor of we'll not let the virus win. The virus doesn't care what your metaphor is. It has no care whatsoever. It has no affiliation at all. <laughs> no, in fact, it's not a conscience. It's not a conscious being. It has it, it doesn't have a sense of what it needs to do against you. It just does its thing. So I don't know. I, I could go on with this kind of thing for a very long time because it helps when you live by oneself, <laughs> when one lives by himself and can think about like these moments of what in the world are you thinking? But then, you know, I get the, oh, come on. Are you wearing a mask? Yes. Why shouldn't I? But, you know, it, it is a very socially weird thing. It's a very socially weird thing. Yeah, and I and, and you and I have talked about it before. I hope that culturally it sticks around. You know, I, I think that you know remote work is certainly looks to be like it's hanging around. We have a lot of uh, large companies who are. Uh, we had some that were saying not so much remote, and then they're kind of changing their tunes because their workforce says we we want to work remote. Um, I so so it looks like uh, the remote workforce is going to be a byproduct of uh, of this horrible pandemic. Um, but I also think, you know, mask wearing, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm, I keep one in my bag, um, when I'm traveling. Mm. Um, I also think, you know, in times, you know, like you were talking about being on the plane or, um, you know, at some point I'm going to go back, uh, to using public transit. Um, I'm going to have my mask with me and I hope that it, you know, there's always going to be people who are very much opposed to it and, and, and that's their right. But I, but I hope that, we're more comfortable and when people are wearing masks it doesn't suggest one thing or the other that it 
it just sort of gets folded into our society. I, I hope that it doesn't go away because of things that aren't science related. You know, it doesn't, yep. doesn't mean I'm less masculine if I wear a mask. It could be I'm not feeling well or um, I don't want to get sick, so I'm wearing it to protect myself. I mean, it, it could be any number of personal yeah, decisions. Or I'm why. visiting a loved one who's immune compromised or a kid and they're not vaccinated. And I don't want to in three days be the reason why they're very ill. Yeah. It just, we need a little bit of a frame shift, I think. And you've you've traveled to East Asia, I know. And I think it's similar in China. I've spent some time in Japan and Korea. But I think in China, they also, if one is sick, they wear a mask themselves to make sure that nobody else that they share space with gets sick. Yeah, yeah. And I think it, it was different, you know, when, when I went over... Um, when I, when I saw people wearing masks, because, and I don't know, um, you're, you've actually been more, I mean, your, your background is medical and science. Uh, for me, I'm not around, I'm not in a clinical environment a lot. So usually when I saw face masks, it was, I thought surgeon, or I thought somebody (laughs) who you're visiting in the hospital. Uh, but to see, you know, in, in Asia, you know, branded masks they're like leather like the, the like the leather studded ones yeah, or they'll yeah, have ones yeah. with like funny icons or logos or those type of things on them um it just kind of got folded into almost like their clothing and that kind of stuff because because they wear them and like you said it's like i'm not feeling well or i woke up with a cough i don't want to spread it to others so i appreciate that they're thinking about their community and their family because they because they don't want to spread it to others but but they still yeah. need to go about their lives so they're just wearing a mask and so um, you know, I think now we're starting to see masks that are a little bit more, I mean, now they have all kinds of things on them, but it was very different for me to see coming from my background. Cause you never saw masks outside of, uh, outside of a clinical setting. No, no. Speaking of which I did an acrobatics class this week. Oh, um, yeah. Did you tell me? Turns out, uh, not on purpose, <laughs> but there's a lot of trusting of people and everybody has to be vaccinated in the class and your masks are not on. Uh, so there's this like, like, okay, I'll do this. I'll do this. Like I, I took the plunge. Um, but I had forgotten how intimate you are with somebody in a class like this or in normal situations, how close you are, how, you know, how close your, your respiratory droplets are to another human being. Um, when you're trying to uh, create really cool acro yoga kind of sculptures. Were you like held up in front of the class on top of oh, some, yeah. how, how, oh, how yeah. did that work in that class? Well, I pretended that after I would be held up that I was a Russian gymnast and I would put my hands out and bow to the judges in the three different points as if I had just done my Olympic performance. There's something about being around 40 and then feeling like you're able to do things that uh, one one was never able to do before. Uh, so I'm trying to keep myself limber uh, and certainly working from home for 15 months did not help with being limber. So I am hurting in all kinds of places. I didn't know my body would bend that way and I'm looking forward to going back. You are so old, really? You yeah, what's old. it like being under what's it like being under 30 again? Why don't you tell us? It's great. I've been 28 for like seven years. So it's it's going going well for me. Have you ever seen Death Becomes Her? Oh, yeah. Of course you have. This is a classic, right? This is one of these defining movies. Um, Are you um, Meryl Streep or are you Goldie Hawn? Uh... I see. I love Meryl Streep, so I, I'm going to default to her because she she is excellent in so many movies. And of course, Devil Wears Prada. I love her. 
Also great in Devil Wears Prada. I think that Madeline Ashton is one of my favorite characters ever. Um, and I think that was her name in Death Becomes Her. And the uh, just the premise of the entire movie reminds me when anybody is trying to talk about their, their real age or not their real age, I always think about that stupid, stupid plot line of Death Becomes Her. And you could take some potion that makes you look young forever at you know, at some terrible expense that nobody talks about. Um, all that being said, I want to leave our audience with that image for a brief interlude as we hear a word from our sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Wet Panda Dry Bags. You know, it's pretty basic to think about dry bags, but it's so important. You know, when we're headed out to paddleboard or we're headed out to hike, um, I reach for my dry bag all the time because, you know, I have a digital camera, I have different equipment with me, and I am not always confident that my backpack is completely waterproof. So I just tuck it into my dry bag and I know that it's going to stay safe. And I even pack a wet panda bag in my gym bag because, you know, if I'm swimming, I can toss my swimming suit into the dry bag and close it up. And I know that the rest of my bag isn't going to get wet and nasty. So check out Wet Panda. They are exclusively sold on eBay. Just search Wet Panda Dry Bags and look for that panda paw. Thank you so much, Wet Panda, for your sponsorship of the Sunday Brunch. Matt, I have been a negative Norman, and I want to bring us back with some more interesting stories from the tech world. And so I'm going to ask you to take us to a place it doesn't even have to be upbeat but what's going on with tech as i keep talking about the gloom and doom of of covid19 or delta or lambda or whatever greek letter we're rushing today well you know it's uh it's been kind of an interesting week there was a couple stories that i i thought were interesting one of them of course you know we don't we don't have a week that passes without some sort of security event um, but what I thought that was very interesting, you know, coming on the heels of Apple um, and their latest operating system release and then, and then, you know, talking about privacy and the security of the app store and all those type of things. There was an article that came out in Ars Technica that was highlighting the uh, Google Play Store had 10 apps and these apps looked fairly benign. Um, and so, so Marty, I hope that you don't have any of these apps. Would you happen to know the names of these apps? I do, I do. And I, and I can actually okay. post them in the show notes. Uh, but they but they had a lot of inter- like names like Pip Photo, Processing Photo, Rubbish Cleaner, um, Horoscope Daily, like apps mm. that were, you know, they look really benign. Um, yeah. And in, in the article about this... Uh, you know, about these apps that compromise users' Facebook login information, these apps were, were, were Trojan horses. And, and when we talk about Trojan horses is you download the app, it looks right, it smells right, there's nothing that's really shady. It was approved by Google to go into the, to go into the app store. You download them, you use them, but in the background, they're doing some nefarious stuff. They are collecting your Facebook login information and uh, it looks like there was out of these ten apps that that were in the store. It looks like that like like there was exposure right around five million people who had their Facebook Ooh. credentials taken. And, and so you know, th- there's a lot that is uh, you know because as this story has come out and there's been lots of perspectives on this particular 
event and the news and, and, and we're still trying to understand kind of what the goal here is. Uh, but I've had some people who say, well, what's the big advantage of, of having uh, Facebook information? That's yet to be determined. Uh, you can sort of guess because because Facebook does have a lot of important information on users. It uh, For many, it has your birthday, uh, has information about where you live. You know, it and sometimes your Facebook password is a password to something else. And so this can be really valuable to these organizations who, who have developed this. So what was reported on in ARS was uh, that Google did hear about it. They took down the apps, so they are no longer available. But if you're outside the Google Play Store, uh, Android users could still go there and download them. And again, they look fairly benign. I mean, they look like something that would be useful. And uh, even the reporting this week was these apps were actually decent, like they did a good job. And so um, some of the users were like, uh, well, what's going on here? How did this get through? And so it's going to be interesting to see how this sort of plays out and see how it's going to impact these 5 million plus users. So if you are a Facebook user in the uh, Android environment and you've used one of these apps, you should change your password right away for Facebook. I even recommend um, to some of my colleagues if you share that password, which you shouldn't be doing there, get, you know, you know, change anything that's sort of similar and then also activate multi-factor authentication on as many accounts as you can, because that that's an additional level of protection. Because um, I've seen many people who are like that fake Facebook profile that's trying to be your friend that's sending you mm. these messages um, is doing some some pretty nefarious stuff or. The other thing that, and I don't know about you, but my big fear is, is what if somebody gets in my Facebook account and starts posting things um, that aren't me, that could be really horrible things? Um, I, I don't like the idea of that either. Yeah, um, you're 100% right. And that is, I, man, this is going to be the, this is going to be a norm, essentially. There's always going to be, this is this kind of conversation we've been having since passwords were used Early on, I remember we used to hear when I was back many years ago that passwords are like underwear, like change them sometimes. <laughs> Download a password keeper. That's what I keep telling people. LastPass. Oh. They're, they're, they're not even a sponsor. Get LastPass. It'll help create right. strong passwords. See, that's really helpful. I need to. I just keep forgetting it and have to keep on coming up with new ones. It's really a pain. Uh, but LastPass sounds like a, I know people who use stuff like this and they are much more organized people than myself. And they seem like they've got a handle on it. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is just another example of strong passwords um, and also multi-factor authentication, I think is is really good and, and, and have a password manager. But, um, you know, but I feel when I saw this, I mean, I, I've, I've known many people who've gotten their Facebook accounts compromised. Um, and luckily there hasn't been anything too terrible. Like there hasn't been anything that's like a really horrible post, but Certainly, if you're in the Android uh, community, double check that list. Again, we'll, we'll post in the show notes. But if you have it, delete that app right away and change your password. And mm-hmm. just kind of keep an eye on on the security of your other accounts as well, because this one was a nasty one this week. Uh, noted. Um, I will also keep in mind for any social media stalking that goes on uh, that the reason why an account might be difficult to find or that there are more than one of them, it could very well be because of these kinds of hacks that go on. Now, and, and you're an Android user, so are, 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 are you all up to date? Are you using a password manager? Do you have multi-factor enabled on Facebook? I will. <laughs> good answer, good answer. <laughs> Thank you. 
So on, on, on other news about Google, which, uh, you know, Google did not fare too well on that story, but um, uh, just so that our listeners know, there is a lot of work and effort going into artificial intelligence. We have many companies, we have many countries that are working and putting a substantial amount of energy into AI. And we are far away from the HAL 9000. We are far away from Skynet. <laughs> uh, we, we are not there. But it's certainly an, uh, it, it's a massive field. And, and you may even hear the term AI Cold War, that right now it, it is a race to try to develop this technology. And Google has been doing this for a long time. Matter of fact, they they lean on us as consumers. If you've ever done the, if you've ever gone to a website and it says, "I want to make sure that you're not a robot," and right. it, it says, "Pick out the light pole," and you have to click those little pictures. It's right, kind of annoying. Right. Um, you're you are teaching Google services how to identify certain objects yeah. um, for like their self driving technology, or, or or even our use of Google Photos is helping train Google software to understand what's snow, what's a tree, what's a person, those type of things. So Google certainly um, has a very big presence in the artificial intelligence environment. And so it was a little interesting because this week um, their AI chief, Jeff Dean, was saying, hey, you know, as we're developing um, artificial intelligence, we want to make sure that the marginalized community is supported and we want you to participate in, you know, we want you to be an intern. We want you to help support us as we develop AI. Sounds really good, right? Like when you see this, this tweet, you know, it came out on social media and everyone, Google had hired a very seasoned veteran in, in the area of artificial intelligence. Um, she has her doctorate in this background. Uh, she, she is a, uh, African-American woman who specializes in AI. They had brought her in. She had also developed a team to work on AI with Google. And when she was working on a paper, um, Google didn't really like it. And her paper um, outlined the risks uh, in regards to human biases when it comes to AI, and she was let go. And this happened last year in December. And then a couple months later, um, a, a team member of hers by the name of Margaret Mitchell was also ousted as well. And so um, these two sort of uh, very influential people in the AI space, particularly for the marginalized community, the people who um, in the AI world, which is a growing field, uh, was let go from Google. And then he turns around and says, hey, we really care about the marginalized community and we want them to help us build AI. Uh, it landed with a thud. You, if you want to see some really good Twitter fodder, uh, look up Jeff Dean on Twitter and you can see all the comments and the responses because Google let these two people go who were really top-notch folks in this particular area. Um, and then now they're saying, hey, we want some help from this community. So it, it, it felt really it felt really terrible this week. So it was like, what is going on over there as far as AI research and supporting marginalized communities over in Google? So it brings up a lot of interesting questions as I'm listening to this story. Um, the story. The first is, I, I am unaware of the Google response to the firing of these two scholars uh, who had... So, no, let me tell you the first thing I'm thinking, because I can backpedal a little bit. That, that to me, is a, is a necessary paper that needs to come out. The idea that any kind of AI under a system that represents uh, racist you know, histories and... Uh, is traditionally built on on systems of marginalization 
technology tends to amplify those things. It always has and it always will unless there is a very conscious and intentional effort to come back in and uh, create access and to offer an equity with an equity lens what that technology can do for others. So that's really important. And therefore, bringing in people to a summer program or as a pipeline program, whatever it is that Google was trying to do, um, that's one way you should do that. And that's really important. But that doesn't take away from the fact that as a major AI user, part and parcel to doing that is amplifying inequities. Like That's what happens. So unless you have a team that's working on it, and it sounds like Google did if they had ethical AI folks. Now, if they were publishing something that said, hey, we should watch out for that, um, especially scholars who know what they're talking about in this world, uh, and then was it correlated that they were let go? Or did Google come out and say, the reason why we let them go is because they were publishing something that we didn't like them to do? I mean, this is where these stories, and, and I think that, you know, there's an eyebrow raise because I don't know. I don't know how this happened. And, and I suspect it's probably the, the narrative that, that we're talking about here that, or that the, these news stories are referencing. But just to give like a minute to Google, um, did they respond when they fired these, these two individuals? Yeah, it's, and it's kind of one of these, I don't want to liken it to a soap opera, but there's a lot of he said, she said in any kind of story like this. Um, and, and if you have some time to go to go take a look at it, you will see a lot on Twitter um, because both of them issued some responses. Um, we're going to have to see, you know, because, you know, of course, because it's Twitter, sometimes things can be taken down, of course. But um, it looks like from Google's perspective, there was this paper that was written. They didn't have a whole lot of time to review it. Um, they didn't like it. Um, it looked like uh, Timnit had made some demands. Google wasn't going to meet those demands. They thought that she had resigned. She was going to resign if demands weren't met. So they said, we accept your resignation. Like it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then this Margaret Mitchell, who was on her team, they felt that she was doing things that didn't align with what they feel are the values of Google management. So, I, I you know, Google may, may have, you know, done what they needed to do as a company. And, and, and that's very fair. I don't think we're going to know the full story, uh, but it, it certainly didn't look good. So, yeah, I think you're right that there's also a Google corporate, you know, employee perspective well, that, that needs to be respected here, too. Well, the, here's where it gets sticky for me. Um, underlying, I think there's a notion that it seems that there's something performative going on with Google and the, the Twitter sphere and these these kind of social media spaces are here to call it out. Say like, look, this is performative. You don't really care. Um, so stop acting like it. Um, and that might that might be true. I don't know. But the other side of it, I mean, it doesn't look good for Google uh, if they, they made this other move. But on the other side of it, if there are a lot of areas of inequity that, that technology is going to um, amplify and Google has a program, even if performative, that is going to help change that in the future, then does that mean they stop offering that program? Now, they should probably do more, but my question is if people are being critical, I hope that in that criticism, in that space, then there's an opportunity for Google to come back and say, not only are we bringing them in our pipeline, we're giving them an option to, you know, to like tell us how to, 
how to how to work with this power that we have in our technology. And again, I'm on the outside. I don't even know the story, but it's there's a really slippery slope of going with calling out the performative and then in doing so removing the possible good that could have come with that, even if you didn't agree with the fact that it was performative in the first place. Yeah, they shouldn't be performative. Agreed. But does that mean they don't do the program anymore? I, I, don't, I don't think that that makes sense. Yeah, it's it, and, and it's interesting with a company like Google because, you know, you have, um, you know, like Annie Jean-Baptiste who wrote, who wrote a book about um, Google's product inclusion team. I mean, she, she wrote this book called uh, Building for Everyone, which, which is excellent. I, I highly recommend it to, to anybody um, because it's a very fascinating look into Google's product development and sort of building these products so that it, it meets a diverse customer base. It, and you see that and you go, well, that, that's very forward thinking, you know, you know, for Google. And, and Google is a forward thinking company. You know, there's no argument that they're very innovative. Uh, but then you also hear about Google where, you know, their facial recognition technology has a has a racial bias. Yes, you, know, yes. you, you also see those things. So w- what what makes this story just it, it, you can sort of see both sides. I mean, I mean, like you said, it's like here you have a Ph.D. who is very cutting edge in this area. And then you also have Google being a very innovative company. You think that together they would help build a very innovative AI product. So what happened? Um and, you know, at the time of this recording, um, uh, you know, I, I, I did not see if Timnit um, had, uh, if, if, if she had found another job in, in the AI world. Her voice is very valuable, and we certainly want her perspective on this. And um, AI is certainly an emerging science, and so we, we, we certainly want to build it well, and we want to ask really good questions. But yeah, it was just a very, it was a very interesting story this week. Yeah, and I, I, even as we're talking, I'm starting to think about this a little bit more carefully. I have to be careful not to center the conversation around of Google being a victim here um, and think about it like, well, what can Google be doing better given the way its, it's, it's, it's track record is? And if people are concerned, and sounds like rightly so, then let Google respond. I'm really interested to see where they go with this because um, it is necessary. They have to take some responsibility for this stuff as well. Yeah, and and we've seen you know over the years, um, very influential, very big names leave very big companies for various reasons. Um, sometimes the employee was was treated really badly by the company, and they just differ. I mean, we've seen uh, leaders in the security sphere who 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 walked away from Yahoo because of really horrible practices. Um, we've seen you know Facebook executives. We've seen we've seen a variety, but. You know, I, I also try to consider the company where sometimes a person can be very, very brilliant, but isn't a good fit for the company. And they and, and they do make those corporate decisions, which are very unfortunate. Um, so that stuff does happen. But but on the heels of Google letting go of these two people who, who are very good in this space and then to say, hey, we yeah, do care about. Yeah, yeah, sure. it, it's it, it does not look good at all. And some emails were published very publicly. Oh. Um, all those type of things. And so and, uh, and, and Google has that they've had some issues where employees are sort of rebelling against uh, the, the, the Google organization. Some have even been targeted uh, for being wow. so so vocal with, you know, you know, within their company. So I think they're kind of going through some growing pains from being this rebellious spirit to they are alphabet and they are this large uh, corporate yeah. entity. Yeah, let's see where this goes. I'm interested. Another thing that I, I thought was was sort of interesting is how do you feel about uh, robocalls there, Marty? 
that my extended warranty is almost over and I need to respond immediately by calling this number. <laughs> I don't know. How do you feel about it, man? Uh, I cannot stand them. I think, uh, and I get five or six per day. Um, you know, you know, at least from, and, and they're really good. I mean, because it, it, they, they figured out now where if someone's calling me from Virginia or from Texas, chances are I'm not going to pick up that that phone number, right? But now the robocalls have gotten much, much better because they're actually calling from an area code that you know. Um, and it can be something within your city or, um, or, or it can look like, you know, like, like if I'm waiting from a, you know, for a call from a contractor, if I see a, you know, a number um, that looks kind of close enough, I may answer that call and then it's a sales call about something. And so um, in some of these robocalls, while it can be about extending your warranty, they also can hurt people. They can be people who are trying to scam others. And sure, so, sure. Um, yeah. This has become, you know, it has become a big deal. And also, it doesn't help that when it's election season, you get a ton of robocalls about, oh, yeah. you know, elect this person, elect that person. So there, there has been a lot of discussion about how to fix this. And so we actually recently announced, um, and this, in, and this is through the FCC. So that's the Federal Communications Commission. They announced that. They are making um, all of the telephone providers meet some new standards. So this is your AT&Ts, your Verizon, your your T-Mobiles to meet a new standard to try to prevent robocalling. And so it is not perfect, but it is going to help. So so the first thing, and, and this sounds like a 007 kind of stir shaken, but uh, you, you see the stir which they're calling it a secure telephone identity revisited um and then shaken because of course it's it's technology people so so we like acronyms shaken which is yeah signature based handling of asserted information using tokens that's very very long um, yeah that's useful that's yeah useful. yeah yeah and so and basically for for the non-technical people is um this is to verify the accuracy of the caller id so what what they're doing is is they want they're sort of creating kind of a system of certificates so that the person who's calling you it's a verified caller ID of that person so people can't just from another country spoof a phone number in your city and and make a phone call to you so um, you know the the use of this is going to be expanded more and more um, it's not going to make it perfect but um, it's certainly sort of this. Um, necessary step or protocol to make sure that the person who's calling you, it's attached to somebody. It's not, it's, it's not going to be used for certain nefarious purposes. Or the other scary thing that, that we've seen is, um, you know, in some cities, people will actually take the phone number of like the police department and call oh. you using that phone number and try to scare people into giving them, you know, personal information or saying um, I'm impersonating a police officer. And so this is a good step in making sure that those entities can secure their identities. Other people can't use them or, or, or trying to mimic a credit card company or trying to mimic some sort of federal agency or those type of things. And so it's a really good step. But uh, but yeah, we saw that, that we set up this robocall milestone. And so uh, those annoying calls will still come, but hopefully with these new protocols from the FCC will certainly help. Do we know when this is going to begin? It is in effect um, as of last week, Wednesday is when it went into effect. Um, And so and some of the telephone companies did file petitions, but they were denied. And so the FCC was pushing the standard. So um, while it's put in place, it's going to take some time for uh, for things to kind of catch up. But it's good that now we have our stir and shaken protocols in place. So hopefully it'll bring that down a little bit. 
It sounds like there were a bunch of people that were part of some trivia group that really wanted to, like, they made a bet with each other that they could incorporate James Bond into the next thing that they did. So they created these acronyms. I don't know. I, I know. I'm a science nerd. People do stuff like this. It's just like, I know, I know. Let's, let's call it this. <laughs> and so, like, you know, they they created their, their world of shaken and stirred. I, 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 more power to them. That's great. Bless their hearts. <laughs> well, so speaking of James Bond, the organization Spectre, are, are you familiar with that in, in the last James Bond movie? No, I'm about to learn. Okay, okay. So, so Spectre is is well known in the in the land of Bond, and it's an acronym, and it always got me because as long as Bond's been around, there's always been Spectre. But I, I always laughed at the acro- the acronym for Spectre because it was Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, Revenge, and Extortion. That's what Spectre stood for. Like, could you get a longer acronym for a bad no. guy organization? Not necessary. <laughs> Yeah, do bad guys really need to do acronyms? Yes, and, <laughs> and they need business cards. <laughs> yeah, right? Hydra, like the Marvel Comics universe. I just It's always kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just thought it was funny because I think that there was one movie where they actually say what it means. I'm like, you're better off just calling it Spectre and just letting us guess. The fact yeah, it's an acronym, it's like... So- it's terrible. I, I'm just imagining Blofeld like on a whiteboard. Okay, so what are we going to name the organization? So we have special. Yeah. yeah. How about how about this? We're going to try a product testing group. And how do you feel? How does this make you feel? Okay, we have an acronym. It's going to be great. We're going to have banners. Uh, we have somebody from a marketing company. It's going to make a special logo. It's going to be. It's going to look great. It's going to scale to the website. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a great I social can't. media presence. I just can't. I just can't. Matt, it's always fun to go through the science and tech weekly news roundup with you because it not only becomes a matter of what we need to be paying attention to, but also reliving all of these things I wondered in my childhood of like, why? Why why does this happen? And you always one-up me in your knowledge of nerdy history stuff. Well, I, I don't know. There, there's a lot of nerd facts that you know about, about like particularly Harry Potter. I, I, I do not have any background in that. So. I, okay. Let's, for the record, I don't know that many nerd facts about Harry Potter. You just know nothing about it. So I feel a little bit better. It, this it, is getting into mudslinging. It, it, and like swords and dragons stuff. I'm not, I, like I'm okay, horrible okay. at Game of Thrones stuff. I'm really bad oh, at Well, that. okay. But that, nobody's perfect. You can, you can get there. Um, for everybody listening today, thank you for joining us again. Uh, please comment and subscribe so that you can catch future episodes of our podcast. And as always, please remember to eat some brunch and then go ahead and change the world. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for all your support of our podcast. We wanted to take a quick moment and let you know that you can reach us via email at thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. That email address again is thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. You also can reach us via phone here in the United States. That is area code 970-627-7445. Again, that area code is 970-627-7445. Again, we love hearing from our listeners, so please feel free to drop us an email or drop us a voicemail. 
And if you want to support us, listening is great. We also really appreciate you dropping us some stars and leaving us some reviews. We really appreciate seeing all of that and supporting our podcast through uh, reviews and suggestions and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for joining us again, and we hope that you'll join us next week.